Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodruff. If you're uh, visiting with us for the first time, we just want to say welcome. Thanks for being here at Crossroads. To everybody watching online, bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are in a series called Gathered Together, looking at uh, the book of Acts, just stepping into different pieces of the book of Acts to take a look at the church, to really get our arms and and minds really and hearts around this idea of of what is church, kind of using this time after this this crazy year we've been in is to really take some time to step back and and really think about what is church, what is this all about, and we're going to really dive into that um, this morning. Um, as well. So let me, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning if you want to follow along in the Word of God. And now let me just pray for us and we're going to dive in here this morning. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to gather together, Lord, in your presence. Lord, you say where your church is gathered together, physically together, Lord, that you are present in a special way, Father. Um, Lord, this is your body. Jesus, you are the head of your church. And Father, forgive us when we have put other things in that place. Forgive us over the years, Lord, of setting people on pedestals or programs or denominational things or man's traditions, whatever it may be, or just our own perception, Lord. Maybe our own self, our own preferences, Lord, above you, Jesus. Lord, this is your church. This is your people. This is your house, God. You're doing a mighty work, and may you... Lord, revive us in this age. Revive us, Lord. Let there be fire again, Lord, on the hearts of your people, God. Father, you you know where every one of our hearts is. Everybody watching online, everybody here gathered together, you know where our hearts are. You know what's going on deep inside our soul, Lord. You You know what needs to be healed. You know what needs to be exposed. You know what we need to hear. Give us ears now, Lord, to hear what your spirit says. Let your word be powerful. It's a two-edged sword, Lord, cutting deep within our soul, Lord. Let us increase our hunger for your word, Lord. Now come and speak, Lord. Let me get out of the way. Let your word, Lord, the truth of your word, let it pierce us. Father, let us again be people who are hungry, hungry for your word, God. And Lord, I pray for renewal among your people, Lord, to preach your, your word, your entire word, God, the truth of your word, not to hold back, God, on what your word says, but to stand on it firmly, God. Now, Holy Spirit, come. Because, Lord, I, I, I can teach, I can do, but, Lord, unless your spirit, unless your fire comes and blesses this, unless your presence is here, God, we're just hanging out with our natural gifts. Lord, we need you. We need you to break in. Lord, meet us where we're at this morning, Lord. Change us. Convict us. Move us, God. In your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Um, Let me ask you a question as we get a couple questions maybe, but what forms your first ideas of what church is? Just think back for a minute in your mind. What, what, what experience or person or thing or church or what formed your earliest idea of what church is? And was it a good experience? Was it a good thing? What formed your earliest understanding 
of church. Um, and then, right from there, we need to ask the question, well, how much of that was true? How much of that formation of church in your life was grounded in what the scripture actually teaches? And then a third progression needs to be, wow, have I explored that? Because if not, guess what? Those walls, that tradition or that teaching or that expectation will keep us from advancing towards God and being his people and understanding what church is. And really, over a period of time, either it's going to go in an unhealthy way or I'm just going to slowly drift away. And so this morning, I want us to look at this idea of back to the future of the church. We get back to the beginning. Chapter 2 of Acts, this is where it all began. This is where the church began. This is where the fire of God, the Holy Spirit, hit the disciples. And Jesus is now in his glorious resurrected position, right, at the right hand of the Father. He says, it's better that I go, gang. And I'm going to send out the Spirit of God. And we're going to look here at, at multiple, we're just scratching the surface this morning, but I'm just going to give you several things this morning to think about and to put through the filter of how you see, how you think about church. And I believe, gang, with all my heart that we're in a season now of great sifting. Where the scripture says God's judgment, it begins with the house, his people, his church. It begins right there. And the scripture is very clear that across everything in the world, you read the entire Bible, God's primarily concerned about his family. Politics? No. He says, right? Brook Proverbs. Kings are like channels of water in God's hands. Nations rise, nations fall. All of that is used. Ultimately, he's shifting, moving, so he might have a holy people. He might have a glorious, beautiful community of people that's the bride of Christ. It's the church where Jesus is the head, right? That is to be that shining light on a hill that the world sees and has hope and is drawn to something eternal, the good news, right, of, of Jesus Christ. And so I hope in these things we're going to just kind of dive into this, this morning that, man, you'll take these and really think about, wow, I need to lay that down. I need to, my concept of, of church, and, and just, just I'll leave this with you because as we got through this, have, think about when you got up this morning, what went through your head? When you got up this morning and you started to prepare to come here, what did you think about? Is, is this just a place you come, we go to church? Or is there, as we're going to see, is there a deep idea that, no, I'm Jesus's, I am the church. This is, I'm part of this family. And in, in coming into these doors, was there a, 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 what was it that you were hoping for? What was the expectation? Right, what was going on? And here's the deal is, is if I have, if I grew up, and I don't have time to tell you all my experiences growing up, but uh, if I um, wasn't modeled for me a healthy understanding of preparation, of my view of church, then you know what? It sinks in deeper into our soul than we'd ever, ever realize Right, You know, all these stories, by the way, just to correct some things, all these stories of all these nons, everybody leaving the church, there is many leaving the church, but guess what? What they're not telling you is among God's non-denation, among evangelicals, there's some thriving things going on. Even in America, you go to Iran, you go to you know, China, you go to several places in India, around the world, and the church is, is busting we're under the fastest growth right now, but you're not hearing too much about that. But guess what? Most of those places where the church is persecuted. 
Yeah, folks, I believe God is sifting his church in America. I believe this is a time for us to really wake up. Lord, what are you saying? And let's get back to the foundation. We need to get back to the foundation. Do we understand what church is? Our Western mentality of what we've been sucked into in America, as we're going to see this morning, are many things are not biblical at all. And they've led us to a place um, where, yes, there's young people who are fleeing that. I don't see it as important because guess what? They did not have a biblical understanding of church. And if we don't, it will. It'll lead us to just move to the fringes, step away, right? And we become more formed by the world than we do by God and his, his Holy Spirit. So with that said, let's dive into Acts chapter 2. Just a little background is Jesus, when he rose from the dead, we know that he walked on the earth in a raised body and appeared um, to uh, the disciples, and at one time, 1 Corinthians says, over 500 people, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. He prepared them. In Acts chapter 1, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Do not leave gathering together. Be together. And you wait and you pray. Because you can't accomplish, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. Remember, they asked him again, hey, is this at the time you're going to conquer the Romans and you're going to you know, uh, bring Israel back to the kingdom? They, they were still focused on worldly kingdoms, not the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus say? No, no, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses, right, to the ends, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to every tribe and culture, you are going to bring the good news and that's your mission, church, is to be my light in all those fears, like this growing light, right, out to the ends of the earth. And, and he says, don't leave here because you're not going to be able to do that. Because to accomplish that mission, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're not going to be able to do that under your own natural abilities. You need the presence of God, the power of God. And um, otherwise, you're just left with your own natural skills, what we think can be done and, and do. Hold on to that when we, um, we're going to come to that when we talk about the American church, Western church. So with that said, we come to chapter two. What's happened now is, is uh, Jesus walked for 40 days with them and there was a 10 day gap and they didn't have any idea. They were just obeying his word. He didn't say, hey, I'm coming at Pentecost. Now, this is very interesting. Pentecost, 50 days, right? It's the fourth of the Jewish festivals. They'd all gathered. As in, um, there was three main festivals that the Jews were to gather in Jerusalem. One was Passover. The other one was Pentecost. And the last one was Sukkot in the fall. And so he never told them, hey, I'm coming at Pentecost. So they're waiting around, right, after he ascended on high. And they're like, oh, we, we can do this. We can gather and pray for 10 days. We can do it. He didn't do that. He didn't tell him what he was coming. He says, you just pray and you wait on me because you're not going to be able to go out there and do it unless you're empowered by me, right? And uh, so this is where we come into chapter two. The church is faithful. They're gathering. They're, they're standing on Jesus' words. And, and uh, here we go. Acts chapter two, verses one through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together Remember, in this series, Gathered Together, how many times in the scripture does it mention that they were gathered together, all together? The value of gathering is essential to what ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, is all about. And um, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire, and that's Hebrew language that means basically a, a, a flame, 
a visible flame. And flames, divided tongues of fire, flames, they appeared and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were worshiping, prophesying, blessing God. They were just praising his name out loud. And we know that that house, that meeting, it could have been the upper room, we're not sure, but it was somewhere in Jerusalem close to the temple courtyard because that worship service just moved on out into public, right? And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem because it's Pentecost. So this is the second great festival that uh, faithful Jews should pilgrimage and be in Jerusalem to celebrate. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, in other words, the known world at the time. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? And Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes were Gentiles who converted to Judaism. Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So there was a massive, right? And we know later thousands were coming together. This is a big event. This is a moving from a house church, boom, into the open temple areas of, of of Jerusalem. Verse 13, but others were mocking. Now this is nine o'clock in the morning. Just a little side note. So come back to that. The church was faithful. How early were they gathered together to pray? But others were mocking. And they're just drunk. They're out of their minds. They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour, nine o'clock, of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is now Joel chapter two. Remember, Jesus taught them for 40 days, the kingdom of God. He was illuminating to them the Old Testament and how he fulfilled the Old Testament. And so here it is, is that, can you imagine Jesus was talking to the guys, listen, read Joel two, this is gonna happen to you. And so Peter stands up and he prophesies and here it is. In the last days, this is Joel chapter two, uh, fulfilled scripture, it shall be said, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. On your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, his second to return, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of God. Receive it deep inside your soul. Wow, Um, we have to get back to this. We have to understand, here's the church, this is the beginning. And we have to realize how much crap 
and walls and extras we have added in that have messed up the beautiful simplicity and power of what God expected his church to be, right? And what we're, so I say back to the future of the church in the sense that this is the future of the church that I just read. This we know, we read the end of Revelation and other places. This is God, is, there's gonna be a revival towards the end, even if there's persecution that's gonna bring back the purity of God's people and his church when they, when they gather together. So, um, boy, all right, where do I, let me just get through, uh, oh, yay. All right, we're gonna try our best to get through these. Dependent prayer. Um, I got seven things here, and I'm just going to just give them to you. I hope you'll think about it, Wendy, when it comes to your understanding of church, okay? Uh, chapter one into chapter two, and then all through the book of Acts, we could drop in upon the church. What do we find them doing? We find them praying. We find them praying early in the morning. We find them praying together, not individually, quiet in their own closet. That was part of it. But we find the church physically gathered together, praying at all different times, praying all night, praying to see breakthrough by God, realizing the incredible blessing we have, folks, to be intercessors, that there's an open heaven to us now, and that we're called, Jesus says, my house shall be a house of? When you grew up, your first understanding of church, was it ingrained in you, church, is a place that God's people gather together and move mountains in prayer. When things happen, war or political issues or other problems, did you, was it ingrained in you that the church said, let's get together, let's pray? And again, folks, I just, and I'm throwing myself in this whole thing and, and what God is doing, but men, I'm telling you, a year ago, when everything shut down, it is pretty, it's a massive indicator of the, faith, what the state of the church in America. We scattered. The church consistently through the book of Acts was always breaking the law. Always. And when something broke out, God's people, the first thing they did was they gathered and whether it's small groups, large, whatever, and they called upon God. You give us insight. You do something. You move mountains, God. It was faith over fear. And um, man, uh, we could, I just give it to us to think about. Is that our, is when, th- when something happens personally in my life, do I rally the church around me? I mean, not the whole church, maybe, right? But, but my small microchurch or, or my discipleship group, right? Or if there's a big thing going on in our community or in the nation, do we, church, gather it? I mean, let's go after this gang. And we do the best we can on Sundays. And, and folks, we have some more things. Um, gosh, there's so much to say here. And Folks, this is, for me, one of the biggest convictions of, of my life. And all I can do is commit to you. Elders have been praying into this. We gather every Thursday at 6.30. The first thing we do is we pray for you and for God's church. But the problem is, is the scripture isn't just to be a leaders or a few little groups praying. It's to be the whole church. And why is it in America, we, we can put on huge shows, huge things and everything else, but where is the church in prayer? Where's the church gathered to worship him and to intercede and expect him to do something glorious? And so we're gonna roll some things out here in the weeks ahead. If, if you wanna learn how to pray, if you wanna learn to have your world rocked and to restore prayer, communal prayer together, please let us know because we'll be offering. And, and I think, what do we do? How do we start this? 
you know, um, what, what happened to the prayer meeting in the church? It was essential. It's the command of God. That's it, right? It, it, where did it go? And um, we must restore. And sometimes, folks, I think with so many things, it starts with an invitation. Hey, come with me. Come with me. This next year, you're going to have the chance to pray here all night. Those that want to do that. You say, why do I do that? You're going to find out, right? It starts with an invite. Come, let's pray. Let's gather together. Let's just start praying for our city. Let's start praying for God to do some amazing things. And you know what? He promises he's in the midst of all that, right? So dependent prayer, and folks, it just permeates the book of Acts. That was their first response. If I get a bad health diagnosis, first thing I should do is not call my doctor. I call the greatest physician. It just shows, it shows where we're at with faith. And I call my brothers and sisters rally. Let's go after God for this, right? We have got to restore this. So that's where we begin. Next one, we are the church. Look at verse two, excuse me, um, chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together. Don't miss, when you read the book of Acts and all, all the whole New Testament, look how many times it talks about gathered together. The 36 one another's, love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, all those things, those are all in the context of a gathered body, not individual things. The other little insight, when you read your Bible, every bit of the exhortations in the New Testament is in a communal gathered place. But we as Westerns have been taught to read that very individually. This is from me. Yes, it is. But the context is it must be fleshed out together, right? Every bit of it. And that's a huge just understanding of how, right, to, uh, to read the Bible. <clears throat> we are the church. So back to this idea of how, what, how, what do we grow up? We have grown up as Westerners of church is something we go to. It's an event. For a Middle Eastern or for a Jewish person, is, they're holistic, everything. We're compartmentalized people, fragmented people. Church is just one of my plates I spend. Church is an event I go to church. For the early church, and what God meant is, we are the church. It's who we are. It's our identity, not a preference. I, I, I'll go to church. It's a preference. And I'll see what it does for me. I'll see if I get something. I feel, feel like if I like the music or if that, if that teaching made me feel good, it's not preference. That puts you at the center, not Jesus. It's identity. It's who you are. God has saved you. And it tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, you've been put in supernaturally into a new family. Right? Into a new family. So just a thought here. <clears throat> when day Pentecost came and arrived, they were all together. And we know the rest of the story, right? What an amazing experience. Can you imagine? I'm one part of one of the 120. Been praying, gathering with the church every morning, praying for hours. God, come. You told us to wait on you. Uh, day three comes along. Man, nothing's happening. Uh, you know, I need to, yeah, you know, I need to go take care of some other things. Maybe, you know, I, I just need to get away. I need to get away. I'm going to go back to Galilee and go out in the boat and maybe do some fishing. Can you imagine missing that experience? Can you imagine missing the move of God? Do you know how many people today are missing the move of God because they think they can experience it alone or doing their own thing? You'll find it nowhere in Scripture, right? 
um, we are the church. And when it comes to understand, I don't know how you grew up, but most of us, I'm willing to bet, if your parents took you to church or were part of the process, or even if they didn't, our parents still especially dad, has a stamp of identity, of approval on us. So whatever your father's view of church was is stamped so deeply inside you. And if your father, if church was a preference, or if he didn't go, inside your mind is a stamp that is very difficult to break off. And um, it, it forms us more than we would ever realize, right? Right? But what needs to be there is from the stamp of our father is it's in line with the stamp of our heavenly father. You're mine. You're part one of my children and you belong here and this is not something we as a family do optionally. This is who we are. So this is what we do, right? But again, the Western mentality, right? Coming to church is one of preference, right? And so it's, it's, it, we, it's what we do. It's an event. I go to church, for a, a Jewish person, for a biblical perspective, church is who we are. It's, it's, it's my being. See, we're doers as Westerners. We're very light on the being part of it. A holistic, this is who I am. Do you see how that's fragmented us? We are the church. Expect suddenly. Look at this. <clears throat> Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven an open heaven opened up. Right? They've been waiting for it. They didn't know how long they were going to wait. They were faithful praying, God, come. We need, we, we, we got to get about what you've called it, the mission you've called us to do. We can't do it without your presence. And suddenly, right, suddenly, right, heaven opens up and boom, God's presence physically manifests itself, right, among God's people. Now, I ask you this question, growing up in church, your experience of church, was it, was there a sense of a buzz in, was there a sense of among your family expectation, fathers, mothers, when you prepared, you know, friends, when you prepared to go to church, was there a sense of like Alan gave great testimony? Driving up valley, Lord, I can't, what a beautiful morning. I can't wait to gather with your family and worship you and experience you and who knows what's going to happen today. Anything can happen. Was that how you were trained? Is that what formed your idea that when you were a part of worship, corporate worship with, whether it be house church or larger church, that you, uh, that man, anytime, anytime suddenly God can move in here with a prophetic word, with a healing, with, with his presence, his love, his joy, his whatever, just a physical understanding that we're going to meet God. Can you imagine growing up if your mom and dad said, little child, we're going to church. This is who we are. And God's going to meet us there. And it gives us a chance to use our gifts to love and bless others and encourage others and, and let's just expect God to do something to, while we're together. The suddenlies, that's church, folks. And you look for the whole book of Acts. Remember, this happened, people say, oh, that was a one-time event. But come on. No, you go to chapter four, it happens again. There are what? What do we find the church doing in chapter four? Praying and waiting, worshiping God. And what's to say again, boom, God's presence hits and what? Right, the, the house just, you know, I don't know about you, but I, Lord, please let me experience that before we go, right? Your kingdom come, right? And that's the Lord's prayer. Did you just read the Lord's prayer like some, our Father, art in heaven, you know, just the rote creed? Or was there power, was there expectation, faith behind it? Father, 
in heaven. Hallowed be, glorious is your name. Your will be, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bring heaven here. Bring it here now. Was that the kind of thing you, that formed your expectation of what church should be? Again, whether you're gathered in a home, one of our microchurches, or whether large you're gathering, suddenly, folks, we've got to get a handle on this. Um, God's up there just, you have not, because you asked not, church. What, what about over and over again? He says, he longs. Our Father longs to pour out his spirit upon those who are hungry. He longs to pour out revelation, prophetic insight to his church that's hungry to hear from him, right? We've got to get a handle on it. We are the temple. So verse three, here you go. Look at this. Folks, this is, I, I'm going to barely scratch the surface, but man, look at this. So um, sound mighty rushing, hit the whole house where there were, verse three, divided tongues of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. <laughs> Man, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Just start theologically. This is the beginning of the church. Let's go to the Old Testament. When the temple was made, or let's go back to even Moses, the tabernacle, and then Solomon, the temple, and everything else, when it was dedicated to the Lord and a sacrifice was put on the altar or with the temple and the blood was put over the mercy seat of the um, Ark of Covenant, what happened? from heaven came down and it received that sacrifice and the presence of God came and filled and blessed and affirmed the house ah when Jesus himself was baptized it says the dove heaven opened up and the dove came Jesus did no miracles before that time not until the spirit of God came and hit him does the scripture say he moved to his ministry it's the same principle, Old Testament, New Testament. So what's happening here? This is amazing. What's happening, church? This is the beginning of the church. What's the temple now? What is, what is the fire hitting and blessing and affirming? You. You. You are the temple. And all through the New Testament, right? This body is now the temple of God. Folks, try to get your mind around that one. And, when we're, and Ephesians 2 tells us when we're gathered together, that's the temple, each one of us with fire of the Holy Spirit, right? The presence of, we're hosting the presence of God. Were you taught that? Were you taught that to realize you host the presence of God? And when you come to church and gather with others, you're hosting the presence of God and where the church is together and that reality is happening on an individual, it brings a massive Blessing of God corporately when the churches gather with the understanding, we're the temple, we're the new temple. You don't have to, Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, you don't have to go here, go there, right? He's look, Father's looking for those who will worship in what? Spirit and truth, right? You're the temple. You're the temple. And so this is why, folks, theologically, massive things happened here. Massive just blown out so much tradition and everything else, right? There isn't a special place. It's where God's people are gathered in unity. And God wants to bring the fire. And so here, this is why Paul says in Romans 12, he says, by the mercies of God, I plead with you, church, I plead with you, present your bodies a 
living sacrifice. What's the next part? Holy, acceptable to God. Were you taught that? When you come to church, you're the temple. And then when you come to this place, it's not about your preference. It's not about my preference, whether I like this or that or, or oh, this is that. I come to bring a living sacrifice that God's fire might bless and affirm. Boom. And even in all my brokenness, even in my struggles, Lord, I come, I'm broken. Please just, what do I need? I need some fire. No matter where I'm at, if I'm struggling or I just want more, whatever it is, I need fire. I need his presence, his affirmation, his love. We need fire. And so that's the question today in the church. Where is the fire? Where's the fire? And he's waiting to pour it out again. And folks, I believe with all my heart, this is where we're at. He's rallying. He's sifting. I mean, just look what's happening to the church. There's a sifting going on. He has a heart for his church and he wants to be holy and pure. And he wants to purify it. He wants to restore, right? A right understanding of what we are. We're the temple. We're to bring a living sacrifice to him. And when we gather together, is that what we've been taught? Is that what we've modeled? Father, Make this body. And folks, this is why there's so much unholiness, cheap grace in the church today. It's because we have not taught people, right? We taught them to come and get a little preference. Give me a little forgiveness here. No, no, no. You bring your, you bring your entire being, all of it, and we come and we bring a repentant heart. Lord, forgive me. Boom. We need the forgiveness. We need fire, right? We are the temple. All right, empowered evangelism. <clears throat> Look at this. Verse four. We're just scratching the surface, but folks, I, I hope you'll take these. Just think through. Ask God to align your heart and understanding with his word and to eliminate. Just, we gotta let go of some things. We gotta let God move. Verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, what was going on? When the church was gathering together, what were they praying for leading up to this point? What are they praying for? Well, Jesus gave them the command. In chapter one, it says, uh, stay here, gather. You're gonna be my witnesses. You're going to need to take this good message, what, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're my witnesses. You're on mission now. You are now, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to, and this is another problem in America. We have sold this idea that you can be saved, you can receive Jesus' forgiveness, but I don't have to take his cause. I don't have to be part of his mission. You can't do that. That's not salvation, by the way. That's not a changed heart. That's a preference. That means I, want to, I, need, I need this rather than the entire life. This is no Lord, I'm yours. And now I need, you call me to be a witness. I, I can't do that. I need you to empower me, right, to do this, right? That's what's going on here, right? And so there's only, so I just, boy, there's so much here. Folks, um, we as Americans, we're struggling to share Jesus with people. We're afraid right now we'll be canceled, right? But you know what the Beatitudes say? Blessed are you when you're canceled by culture. That's a little revision, but that's basically what it means. <laughs> Blessed are you when can't, culture cancels you if you're sharing his loving gospel, okay? Um, folks, there's only one difference between them and us, only one. If I'm struggling to share the gospel, in America, statistics show most church-going people have never led someone to the Lord. 
And the only reason we haven't led somebody to the Lord is because we're not talking to people about Jesus. That's the mission. And, and, and there's only one difference. We don't have fire. If I'm struggling to share the gospel, if I'm struggling and, 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 and uncomfortable with that or whatever, I have one thing. I need, Lord, I need some fire. I need, to, I, need to, I need to put myself back into this place. Lord, I need, to, I need you to come and put a fire on me, right, to do this because I don't know how and, and, and I need you to do it. We need some fire. And the only difference between this church that blew up, went out, they just could, were so excited for the glory of Jesus to talk about their Savior. And people were, th- thousands were coming to know God. The only difference between them and us is it's fire. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a dependence, right, on, on him. Empowered evangelism. Okay, here we go. All right. <clears throat> Redemption over multiculturalism. I need you to listen very carefully to me here because I can guarantee you I'll get some emails or um, I'll be misunderstood. Redemption over multiculturalism, Okay. I'm going to teach you something here that I need everybody to think about. This is critical, especially in our day and age right now, okay? First of all, is our focus needs to always be redemption. Redemption is the only solution for racism. The only one. Policies have huge implications. It's critical that we vote in and work towards good policy. Now, as I get into this, let me just say right out front, I need everybody to listen to what I'm saying is, look, the church should be actively working where there's injustices is that we need to be working towards those injustices, but with a priority always on redemption, biblical justice, okay? If we have brothers and sisters, right, this things that where there's injustice, we need to move towards those things, but with the gospel of Jesus at the forefront, okay? So... Um, nowhere in scripture do we find a forced diversity the only way I'm going to have a biblical understanding of race diversity equality and equity now the only way is if I have a biblical understanding of redemption okay so the two things that we have to lay a foundation are all back to Genesis when God created mankind he created them in his image. And because everyone, no matter what culture or race you're from, is created in his image, we're equal in his eyes. Right? Now we know that. That's what formed actually some of our founding documents in our country. That is what we work towards. If I lay on to that, now the question is, well, what do I do with this issue of diversity? Now, <clears throat> diversity is not always better. You say, what? Just because a group has diverse cultures in it doesn't make it better. What makes it better? Redemption, holiness, calling. So listen carefully. God, from the beginning to the end, is about calling a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world to be his children. Because all are equal. And in the end, we go to the book of Revelation, and he upholds the cultures. Each nation and its uniqueness will be blessed and glorified, right, and redeemed. And he's been working that way, and he gives the church, go out, take this to every culture, every nation. My image bearers. 
Nowhere does he say, but before we do this, you need to make sure we have proper representation on this team. So let me just give it to you like this. When Jesus came and his whole mission, when he chose his inner circle, who did he choose? First of all, he chose 12 men, and they were 12 Jewish men. And he called them to go change the world and take the gospel-changing message. And by the way, Jesus isn't white. That might be a shocker to you. He's not white, right? He's a Middle Eastern, okay? And to go out and to bless every nation with eyes, these are image bearers, right? From the East, from the West, every culture, these are image bearers. God operates far above race and diversity. You cannot force diversity. It will mess things up, okay? When God moves, as he did with these 12, we need to understand something about the sovereign move of God. He operates under creation and calling. He chose Abraham. A little light bulb. Well, that's not fair. He chose a Semitic person. And he chose the chosen people, by the way, folks, are the Jewish people. And we need to understand that God chooses people from each nation, each tribe, different things to accomplish his purposes. He does not rally and no concept is there, hey, well, we need, we, need some, we need some different colors in here. We need this or that in here. If it happens, glorious. But it doesn't in and of itself make it better. Redemption always over multiculturalism. Always at identity level is how God works. He's worked that whole way. He works on calling He's not, he looks past the color. These are all his children, created equal in his eyes. He's looking for all across the world. Who's willing to rise up and, right, for me to come and bless and do something great with, right? When I travel to India, to Africa, to the Middle East, and I worship with people, and most all these times, I'm the only white guy present. And it's awesome. But I don't sit back and go, dang, you guys need some white folks here. <laughs> right? No, because we freaking mess it up. I sit there and I love to learn from the experience, the uniqueness of that culture. I don't come in with my preference and say, you need to adjust this for me to make me feel comfortable there. No, I, I come in there. Now, if they, obviously, if they made me feel uncomfortable, that'd be a different story, wouldn't it? Um, one of the funnest times I had, this goes way back, but in Atlanta, we had a sister church down in the inner city. It's an African-American church, and we had the pastor come up, teach our single some, and um, a couple times I had the privilege to go down and preach down there. And uh, <clears throat> Michelle and I went down there, and we're the only, only white folks. And, um, and, you know, I, and they're so gracious. I didn't stand there again and say, look at you guys. You need some white folks. And I surely, we made a point to say, I'm not coming down to teach you. I, I have all the knowledge. I came down to learn. I came down to be a part of my brothers and sisters who are equal in God's eyes. And they have a unique beauty about their church. That's only them. Now, my preaching just was sucked. I mean, you know, it, it was white, stiff, it was ugly, but they were so gracious. And, um, but, you know, I, there was the whole back row of this place it was, it was reserved for these older ladies, these African-American ladies. And, um, and uh, I, 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 you just don't want to mess with these ladies. And, um, and the whole time, they were my cheerleaders. 
Come on, preacher. Amen. Come on, you can bring it. You can do it. All right? I would do anything to have those ladies every Sunday at the back of this church. Right? The faith that they infused and the prayer that they prayed for God to move. I didn't have to say, oh, I feel uncomfortable. I need some white folks here with me. No, it would just make that place, it'd mess it up, make it stiff and boring, right? Now, it would be a problem if we didn't invite them up to join us, right? Do you see how God works? We're focused on the wrong thing. We need to focus on redemption. These are my brothers and sisters. We worship differently. We gather differently, and that's okay. It's beautiful. And if they want to come and join us, awesome. If we want to come join them, awesome. But we don't have to force something that God never, ever forces. Does that make sense, gang? It's very important for us to understand that. Redemption over multicultural. What, if I had time to read this text and show what was going on here, right? Man, it was going out. The message was going out. It was going out. But you know what? It went out through first Jewish voices, right? And our culture today would cancel Jesus' own leadership model, right? He looked past all that. He calls people for certain purposes and it's, after, it's calling, it's qualification, it's, it's those who are hungry. It's not the person's color. It's not their, what, where they are. He's got people, he's calling, doing great things all around the world, different tribes, nations. And, and we need to uphold in that one of the great mistakes we made in early missions was we imposed on these people the, the Western way to do things, right? That messed it up. Right? It's unique and blessing what God has done. Redemption always focuses the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. Only he has an answer for this. Only he can bring people of any background, any culture, right, together. And, and we can have, it's okay for us to be different. All right? As long as what unites us is the gospel of Jesus. We're going to be worshiping our Lord in heaven together, right? All right, I hope that makes sense. And let's dialogue if it doesn't. The last... <clears throat> Last thing, folks, repentance over relevance. And um, we'll, we'll close. Uh, over to chapter 2, verse 37. Let me read this. Now, when they had heard all this, Peter preached, all the people gathered, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of it, what, brothers, what must we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for you and your children and for all who are far off, every one of who the Lord our God has called himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day 3,000 souls. What's the difference between, Derek, you come on up, between them and us today? Well, you know what? Who's crying out? What must we do to be saved? But the reason why people aren't crying out, Lord, what must we do to be right with you is because we don't have this message. You must repent. You got to turn from your ways wholly to Jesus, right? And be baptized and you'll be saved. About relevance, repentance over relevance. Folks, there's nothing, listen very carefully, there's nothing more relevant in all the world than the gospel. There's nothing more relevant in all of the world than the gospel of Jesus. 
But you know what? We've come in as Westerners and we think we've got to add to it. We've got to make this nice. We've got to kind of bring something else. We've got to make sure we're relevant to the culture. And you know what that's caused us to do? To water down the power of the message. And we don't say any longer, we can't, oh, we can't say, be saved from this crooked generation. Now, what do we do? Oh, you know, Jesus loves you. Come forgive you. Come to him. He'll, he'll meet you or you're all. That's not, that's not going to get us where we need to go. The gospel is the most relevant thing. It doesn't need to be watered down. It needs to be bold, lovingly preached, proclaimed, testified, right? And a call to repentance. There is no salvation without repentance, right? And um, we have watered this down. We've put all around the gospel so many things to, quote, make it, we've got to be relevant. There's nothing more relevant than the gospel. And we have put many barriers, softened things. We've called people to Jesus, a bait and switch type of thing, right? We haven't given them the whole gospel. And we've allowed people to come, you know, the idea that you can be saved without, without repentance, without a turning, right? From who I am to Jesus. You're my all, right? So um, last thing, I, I just want you to look up when you walk out. Because this verse has been above our doors, Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. For several weeks, and I haven't heard one person mention it. Look up, people. Look up. Get your eyes off where your feet are walking, what's going on in the world around you. Look up, right? Look up and let that be a mission, a cry to what we're called to right your feet are beautiful he's looking for those to bring the blessing of God right to this hurting world redemption it's the solution to everything it's the answer to everything so Father we come to you Holy Spirit move now as we prepare our hearts to come to communion God just may we receive and respond Lord to your word faithfully Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.